0: This is Real Estate Rookie episode 175.
1: I would say, like, in the beginning, I was scared and it wasn't something I wanted to do. But eventually, it, I, I started to actually love growing a business. And I saw once we closed on our first deal, it was something real. And I'd made more money than my mom makes so in like two thirds of a year just in a few months.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co host. Tony
2: Robinson. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Real Estate Rookie Podcast is the place for new real estate investors because we give you the inspiration, the information, the motivation that you need to get started or keep going. So Ashley care what's going on? What's new? How are things in your neck of the woods?
0: Oh, pretty good. I'm still crutching around, living my day at physical therapy, (laughs) but uh, doing good. Yeah, I went and looked at a a campground this weekend that I'll probably put an offer in on tomorrow, hopefully. So that's exciting. But yeah, just living living life trying to protect my acl from re-injury and hopefully get back to full mobility before the rookie conference yeah no we
2: got like three weeks for you to like get back on your feet so fingers crossed you can uh, can get back to normal
0: so tony i have to talk about your big event
2: oh yeah so look i actually let me see they're not too far so tony
0: had a big event and i Gave a specific instructions to his wife <laughs> yeah. to make sure that they would be in the video.
2: Yeah, so if you're, if that, you're watching so. on YouTube, there you go.
0: There you go. Yeah, Tony. Yay. So, Tony did a fitness competition. Yep. You have to go look at his Instagram and check out how defined he got. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it was amazing, Tony. You did awesome. You took place in each of what was that three? Yep.
2: Yeah. So, there are three different, uh, different classes, classes that I competed in and took first in all three. So, it was, it was a shock. Like, you know, there, you know, it's all you never know who you're going to compete against until you get there. Um, and there was, you know, some really, really solid dudes there. And, you know, I'm just super humbled and, and happy that I was able to compete and kind of take that number one spot. So it's it's cool. It was a good experience.
0: Yeah. I Congratulations. I'm just very proud of you and excited for you. I mean, yeah. I remember the day that you told me you're going to do this here at a Vegas pool party. And <laughs> yeah. at the same day, I said, yeah, I'm going to do it with you. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah. we'll start down real fast.
2: We'll blame it on the ACO. We'll blame it on the ACO. <laughs> Yeah, four months later (laughs) that (laughs) you see there. But that was cool. It was a good time. So what else is new? Yeah, Yeah. so actually, uh, we got a property, actually, that's under contract, or we're going to sign the contract, I think, tonight in in your neck of the woods over in New York. So it's a property out by a a lake out there in New York, and um, it's actually being run as a bed and breakfast right now, but I think we're going to convert it to just be like a really big Airbnb um, so we're still trying to oh, debate cool. on what the business plan will be, but yeah, just kind of randomly met an investor who is in, you know, kind of in that area, and we figured to take yeah. a look and, and found something that, that made sense for us.
0: Oh, I can't wait for you to come out and do your due diligence. Yeah, then.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And but well, I think we're already anticipating it's going to take like a year to close because everything takes forever in New York, right? So
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 that's expected. I was just looking at a campground I had offered, and it would have been. 2020. So uh, August, 2020, and I got outbid by an investor from California. And I think we joked that it was you. (laughs) uh, So um, yeah, so that property just closed this, I think it was December. So it took over a year for that property to close that came. Actually, no, it was just this past the last month so in march yeah so over a year um to close on that campground yeah fingers crossed it doesn't
2: take this long so or take that long for this property because we'd we'd love to get that that closed and and wrapped up here before the the quarter's over so we'll we'll see
0: yeah well good luck
2: thank you I know it. you don't do great
0: with the deal, yeah. but getting a fast closing, closing yeah.
2: is yeah. outside of my control. Yeah.
0: I sat at a uh, closing table for three hours uh, the other week closing on a property and it was a Friday and we ended up not even closing. We had to wait until Monday to what? finish the closing. It was the longest closing ever. Yeah. yeah.
2: Cool. Well, we got some good guests today, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, we do. This is an op- awesome episode and uh, usually it can feel a bit crowded when we have more than one guest on, but I think this worked out great. We have uh, three brothers on who started uh, when they were 18, the two youngest ones, the twins, and they... Uh, Started out wholesaling, so they go through exactly what they did and how long it took them to get their first deal, but most importantly, why they stuck with it and why they kept spending money, why they kept putting in the work for it. And then that they've transitioned now to multifamily syndication with only being investors for less than two years, and how they were able to actually do that. Yeah,
2: really, really, really cool story. And it's the it's the Donis brothers that we have on today. So it's Kenneth. Jeffrey and Kerwin and uh, Jeffrey and Kerwin are actually twins. And then Kent is is a couple of years older, but yeah, they they do a really good job of kind of breaking down how they found success as wholesalers, how they built their network, even though they they didn't come from some kind of well-to-do background, but how they were able to surround themselves with other really uh, successful people. And I think one of the things that was really cool towards the end was how they've been able to scale to over 600 units by using their network on the multifamily side. So just, you know, this conversation could have gone on forever. Like there were so many different, you know, golden nuggets that they had that we could have kind of talked about a bit more. But um, really, really enjoyed this conversation with them. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. T O Retirement.com or text R E I to 33777. Again, text R E
3: I to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com BP.
4: The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day, with Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
0: Let's welcome the Donis Brothers to the show. Would you guys like to start off just introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about how you got started in real estate?
5: Yes. uh, My name is Kenneth Donis and I'm 23 years old. My name is Jeffrey
6: Donis and I'm 20 years old. And I'm Kerwin Donis. I'm also 20 years old.
1: And And they're twins. Yeah. If you were not, you were wondering. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we got started in real estate a little over two years ago now uh, in a single family space. We started it through wholesaling, uh, just self-education, and then- um, that's kind of what's spiraled our, uh, us into multifamily.
2: Can we just take a second to like appreciate that? <laughs> you said you, you got started two years ago. So the twins, you guys were what, 18? And then Kenneth, yeah. you were 21. Like, that's amazing, yeah. right? Like you don't see you. very many people at 18 and 21, who are like really putting their nose to the ground when it comes to real estate investing. So I know we're going to get into your story, but just like what yeah, what yeah. piqued your interest at that young of an age to to want to start investing in real estate?
5: Yeah, well, one day I was uh, in college, um, sitting on my bed, and I was watching The Breakfast Club. Funny enough, and a guy came on and started speaking about wholesaling real estate and how he came from nothing, no cash, no credit, um, no education, and came from the hood, and then he built a multi million dollar business through wholesaling. And at first I thought it was a scam, you know? Um, and so, you know, just did more digging into it and it really caught my attention. And I went to my brothers and said, Hey, this is uh, this is something that we can do. Um, you know, at the time I was studying to be a physician assistant, but I wasn't thinking that big. And so he kind of broke that paradigm shift of, you know, multimillion dollar business is something achievable. And then, yeah.
6: and we actually, uh, the first book that we read that started the journey, I always say it broke us is a uh, rich dad, poor dad, by Robert Kiyosaki, of course. And once we read that book, uh, I was actually headed into my first year of college. And so I started cold calling for a flipper in the area. And that was the first time I got experience in real estate, but it wasn't for our, our business at the time. And we had always been interested. We kept telling each other we were going to get into wholesaling and start our own business, but we kept postponing it. I think we had limiting beliefs of our own time and the opportunities we had at the time as college students. And so it wasn't until we, got, we went to Guatemala for the first time, that's where my mom's from, um, so we're first generation Americans and, uh, we went to that country and we had cousins there and they, as humble and grateful as they are, they just, we realized they didn't have the opportunities that we do in America. And we realized the privilege that we had of being born here. And we just honestly came to a realization that we couldn't keep postponing, starting our business and achieving financial freedom to change our, our family's financial tree. And so mm. as soon as we got back, we decided to take action.
1: Yeah. And, um, we, we knew that we came from like a low income background. Just growing up, we were always on like Medicaid and stuff like that. And my mom would always, uh, she would do it on purpose. I don't think, but she didn't hide the the guilt of like, I used to play club soccer growing up and she wouldn't hide the idea, the fact that it was very expensive, uh, the trips and everything she'd let me know that it was hard on her. So growing up, I knew that I didn't come from a lot of money. So to answer your question, Tony, like, I just always knew that that was something that I didn't have. And I, I felt like it's something that I could produce now that I'm, I'm, I realize that we're in America. We have the opportunities. Uh, we just need to utilize them um, and make the most of them. Yeah. So just
2: one thing I want to add before we move off of that. Like there's there, there's, you know, a, a lot of people come from backgrounds that aren't, you know, rich or, you know, financially successful, right? You know, like, you know, I I myself didn't come from like a, you know, well-to-do background, but, you know, I I feel like there's two responses that people have when they come from, you know, moderate to lower income backgrounds. And first is that they get stuck in this trap where they feel that that's all that they'll ever be able to do, right? And and, and they, they don't really see a way out. And then other people who go through that experience, they use that as a motivation to say, "No, I, I know I got to change this because I don't want to live like this the rest of my life." And it sounds like you guys yeah. kind of took that that latter approach in terms of really taking control of your life. So just kudos to you guys for having that mindset.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah, you, yeah. And in, in school, like we were all college students when we got into it, um, and Kerwin always likes to say, "What we would do is we would look up on Google what's the highest." Possible job I can get out of with a four-year degree in I this, hear, yeah. like that's how we would think. We yeah. didn't know we could become entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, until we found rich dad, poor dad, and that kind of led us to where we are.
0: Did you guys go to college, or you didn't go to college yet?
1: Yeah, so Kenneth was there for a few years. Uh, Jeff and I
6: were in our first years when we started wholesaling. I think Jeffrey dropped out after his first year, and I waited an additional year to drop out.
0: What was that feeling uh-huh. like? That you're dropping out of college. You've spent money going for a year. You've kind of had a plan in place was it a feeling of excitement like oh my gosh I don't even have to finish school I found something else or was there or that little bit of hesitation like this is the normal thing to do you know what are you know what's your mom gonna say anything like that
5: yeah um well one thing that really made me realize um, was the fact that one day I was in class and my teacher I had missed an assignment already and she you know was nice enough to let me make it up but she was a, a real estate agent herself on the side. So she had her, her license. So she understood the grind of real estate. And you know, in class, I would express things um, and, and base it off of what I was doing in real estate. So she would hear how passionate I was. And then one day I came in cl- into class and I completely forgot to do another assignment. And I was not a bad student. Um, I was just putting a lot of time towards the business, which made my, my, uh, my grade slip a little bit. But she pulled me off to the side and, was, and she pretty much told me, Hey, Kenneth... You always talk about how passionate you are about in real estate let me ask you a question I, I want you not to take this the wrong way but i want you to actually think about it and she said why are you here why are you still in school if it seems like you found something that you're very passionate about and i think you can be very successful and and that is when i realized that i did not want to go back to school and i i went to them and i told them hey I think I'm dropping out. And I told my mom that and she was not very happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I I would say like in the beginning, I was scared and it wasn't something I wanted to do. But eventually I I started to actually love growing a business. And I saw once we closed on our first deal, it was something real. And I'd made more money than my mom makes in like two thirds of a year, um, just in a few months. So I was like, okay, I can see where I'm going. And then when you say um, we had like a plan, to be honest, I went to school because I felt like I had to. In high school, that's kind of how we're groomed. Uh, like the next step is college. I didn't know there was another option, but once I saw there was another path that I could take that excited me a lot more. Um, and I did, I felt like not going this route would have been less of a plan than staying in school because I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was in college. So uh, finding real estate really excited me. And I also realized that like, I was more scared and more excited at the same time to do this than to stay there. So I kind of like to be uncomfortable.
0: What would you recommend for a rookie listener who maybe is in college or is deciding to go to college? What are some things they should think about? And what kind of plan did you have in place before you actually dropped out of school and said, you know what, I'm not pursuing this career path? Did you like sit down and, you know, write out your financial goals or how you were going to make money? Did you have a backup plan in case this didn't work out? What's some kind of advice and tips you can give our listeners.
6: Yeah. Before we dropped out, we definitely took some action. We were cold calling in our dorm rooms. So I would say get some exposure. Um, And I was interning for a flipper cold calling. So there's different ways to do it. You don't have to start your own business at first. I would also suggest listening to podcasts like this one and reading books, Um, just exposing yourself to the language of real estate investing and also listening to stories of other people just to demystify the process and realize that it is possible for you to do it a big thing that was really impactful for us was attending local networking events. They were free. We met people that were doing it in real time and we're always big believers in the, in the saying, be cautious of who you take advice from. And so when we met Max Maxwell for the first time in person, uh, we kind of got his two cents and we just got like, we got different influencers and different real estate investors who we believed in and who we knew were successful. We just got their advice and we really took it to heart and tried to, piece together the information. So I would recommend people Mm -hmm. look for people that are successful and get advice from them.
1: Yeah. And we didn't necessarily drop out until we had made some type of income. Um, So we kind of proved proved the the concept before uh, we ended up leaving and we were surrounded by people. And that's what Kerwin kind of touched on. Uh, We built a network of people that were more successful than us in that single family space. So we knew if they could could do it, we can do it. Um, And we knew that we weren't just going into it by ourselves. We had access to people that could help us along the way. So I think those are some steps that I would take is just build a network of people that can help you because you're going to fail. Just understand that there's going to be obstacles. Um, But two, maybe uh, prove the concept to a certain extent before you go all in. Because what we kind of did was we burned the bridges. Um, And we weren't in that much debt. Crowan had like, you know, pretty much it all paid for. I had some some debt, but it wasn't a lot. Um, But I didn't want to leave until I, I had proved it to myself that I could do it.
5: Yeah. And lastly, um, I would also say as far as uh, having a plan. So I think you should at least think um, far enough ahead to where you you want to think about what you want to do in life. And and if you're in college and you're studying something that you actually enjoy, um, we're not against college in any sense. But if it's not, then, you know, you could potentially maybe take a year off and just explore some options. Um, but as far as a plan, honestly, we didn't really have a plan. We just knew that what we were going, what we were doing was, um was going to work. And, and I mean, we were just taking action and, and the action was paying off. And so we were just slowly, um, you know, just building that momentum.
1: Yeah. And we quickly picked up on our why I'll quickly touch on this. Uh, so like we, our mom's a single mother, she cleans houses. She's done that for our whole lives here in America, uh, which is a hard job. It, it requires a lot of labor and our goal was to retire her as soon as possible. So I thought if I'm going to be in school for the next four years, that means that We'll, well, I won't have any income coming in for the next four years, but I knew I could retire my mom in two, three years if I work really hard at real estate uh, and I could always go back to school or um, we're obviously spending a lot of money in our own education and reading a lot of books. So the education didn't stop. Um, so that's kind of how we looked at it.
2: I love the fact that you guys have such a such a strong why um, outside of just like money, right? But it's like, we want to retire our mom. And it's like that, that kind of driving force is enough to kind of keep you, Um, grinding every day, right? And and really push through. Uh, one of the things you guys mentioned that I want to go back on is, or go back to is the, is the networking piece. Um, you know, you, so you guys are, you know, at the time, 18, 20 years old, right. And, and you talk about building your network with successful people who are doing what you want to do. How did you make that happen? Like, how, how are you getting people to take you seriously as these, you know, relatively young kids that, that, you know, aren't already super successful. Like, like, how did you go about building that network and finding the right people to surround yourselves with?
6: Yeah. Um, we went to websites like biggerpockets.com, meetup.com, inventbrite.com. They're free. Well, most places have free networking events specific to real estate investors, we would go out there. Of course, we expose ourselves to the language of real estate. That's why we're big advocates for listening to podcasts and reading audiobooks before you get out Get out there, just so that you can at least be an active listener and ask good questions. Um, but I think it's a misconception that we had at first a limiting belief that people wouldn't take us seriously. and. It just kind of not really want to talk to us because we were younger and sure there's a few people like that but overall I think it was overwhelmingly positive energy that we got from people they would be impressed that we were even there in the room and that we could be honestly use that even today to our benefit because we stand out and I think any way to stand out is a really good good benefit you can use
1: yeah we i mean just like quickly we we took a lot of action before actually going to the event so um, by the time that we were going to events, we hadn't done a deal yet, but two months later uh, we did our first deal and then we did another one and then we did another one. Um, and we were always actually doing what we were trying to like tell people that we were doing. So, uh, based on like the way I look and the way my age, yes, we're young, but it's not like we're just people trying to get into it. We were kind of like actually trying our best and we had really good questions. Having that actual knowledge helps us when the, when we're talking to these older people, uh, because we're asking really good questions and they can tell that we're actually doing it. So that, I think that helped as well.
2: Now, w- when you guys go into these rooms, right, um, are you are you looking for like a specific type of relationship? Like, are you, are you guys looking for private money lenders? And if so, what does that conversation look like? Are you looking for JV partners? If so, what does that conversation look like? Like, just kind of walk us through what those conversations typically, how those conversations typically flow.
1: Yeah. So um, there's three things, typically, um, an investor who's looking to passively invest, an equity partner, someone that just can, you has access to their investors. And they might be looking to JV on a deal or people that are, we are in our mastermind group. Uh, we give their deal finders. They have success in certain markets that we like. Um, so that's all, I would say those are the biggest three avatars that we have. We're going to networking events or just a friend. Uh, one thing that I did once was we were on another person's podcast. They reached out um, because they heard us on that podcast and I connected him with someone else I had met at a, another event. And they're both very valuable people that I I look up to. So just being able to bring people value based on who I'm talking to, um, that was was something that we were able to do. But any way that I can bring someone value, that's what we'll try to do in the conversations. Um, But in regards to those three, if it's an investor, I'll just kind of ask them what their goals are. Um, Have they ever invested before? Uh, What markets do you like? And then try to get on a call with them later in the week and build some type of relationship because we're doing 506B deals typically. So that's what is required. And then um, on the equity partner side, it's really just me learning more about what they look for in a partner. Uh, I talk to them about my team. It's not just my brothers and I, we're very young, obviously, but our team has a lot of experience. And then for the uh, deal finders, I just look for the markets that they're in. Um, and typically they're already in my group, in my mastermind group. So I already kind of have a relationship with them, so just kind of catching up, seeing what, they, what they've been up to.
6: And I think a, a thing I want to emphasize is that we look for ways to bring them value. Mm-hmm. There's not just monetary ways to bring value, but we, like Jeffy said, we're big advocates for growing our own network just because making connections is really powerful. And so... And it's free. Yeah. So we don't really always go in with some kind of ulterior, uh, alternative motive. We really just try to meet as many people as we can at the event, have in-depth conversations and see if we can maybe benefit them in some way.
0: How are you guys keeping straight all of these people that you meet at all of these events without like walking out of there and just being like, okay, that guy in the yellow shirt, I think he had money. <laughs> How are you keeping track of all these people that you're meeting? Yeah. And a
1: cool, a cool like skill that we learned in the single family space when we were scaling our wholesaling company was the importance of follow-up. And the way that we kept track of all those was to have a CRM. And at the time we didn't have that much money. So we used something that was free. It was Podio. A P-O-D-I-O, um, and that was just customer relationship management system that we used. Um, but I still use that today for anyone that I'll meet at an event. What we learned in the beginning, we were giving them our phone number, but that kind of didn't allow me to reach out to them, um, which is more likely than them calling me. So what I would end up doing, and Kroen kind of told me to do this, is make sure you get their number and their email. Uh, and we put that in our phones, and then when we leave, I upload it all. You have to be very disciplined with this kind of thing because it's easy to just forget about it. But you just put them in a the system and then put a follow-up date and then I keep track of notes every time I call them or email them or text them. I just try to keep track of everyone and I don't let anyone fall within like the, the cracks. I try to just stay in touch with everyone a few months, check in. Um, and then eventually there's certain ways that you can bring these people value.
6: And if, you, if it helps, because we do meet a lot of different types of people, you can add a tag if it's a potential passive investor or an equity partner or a deal finder. There's different ways to organize your system.
2: So, quick question on the follow up piece. So, when you guys are, are reaching back out to these people, like, what does that follow up conversation look like? Are, are you just saying, hey, you know, we met, how are things going? Or is it more specific in, in like the reach out? Like, just kind of guide us through that conversation.
1: Yeah, it depends on what we talked about at the event. Um, but typically, like, if it's just a, another person that I just met, um, I'll say, checking in, it was nice talking to you. If this is an email or a text, um, how have how things been? And this is probably a few months after I met them. But if this is someone that I want to get in touch with immediately, uh, I'll just call them and then say, Hey, we met at this event. And sometimes you'll just, it'll be awkward. And they're like, why are you calling me? <laughs> they don't say that, but you can get that vibe. Other times they're like, Oh yeah, I remember you guys. And the cool thing about being young, in my opinion, and I think my brothers would agree is that all these people are like, for some reason they're impressed and they, they, they are attracted to us and they want to help us, but I want to help them too. So it's not like a, it's a symbiotic thing. Um, and, and they don't mind giving me their time because I mean, most people don't call these people after they meet them at, at an event. So I'm not, like just, Having that extra hustle and grind, and um, showing the intention of trying to just stay in touch and build a relationship, I think goes a long way.
0: I love it that you guys see yourselves as an advantage and not a disadvantage because you're young and you don't have a ton ton of experience or you haven't been doing this for 20 years. I love that you're turning that into an advantage, and that's such a great way uh, to look at it. So, you guys started out wholesaling. What has kind of happened since then. So you quit college and what's going on now?
6: Yeah, so we were cold calling and then we got sent home. Uh, So we were cold calling in our dorm rooms for about four hours a day. I would find some time maybe between classes and meals. And then we got sent home due to COVID. And so we were in quarantine and that was a great excuse to cold call from nine to 8 p.m. (laughs) all day, every day. And we would, while we were eating and we would just take the laptop uh, with us, no matter where we were, we were cold calling. That took about six months to get our first deal. And funny enough, you know, it was it was not easy to get that first deal. Uh, we were running low on funds. Kenneth had to take seven thousand dollars of c- credit card debt, and we had a lot of faith in ourselves. Our mom at the time did not, understandably, and uh, we we had to actually access our savings account. She had access to it because we were still so kids at that time, and we hadn't done the, the transfer yet. And I remember going to her and asking her, uh, "Hey, mom, can I get five hundred more dollars?" This was the second time we'd asked her, and she said, "You're wasting your time. You're wasting your money. Uh, this is the last time I'm doing it." And I was really down, but we did end up getting uh, our first deal a few weeks after that. And Debra, you can kind of
1: touch yeah. on And after that, we ended up closing on our first deal, which was the biggest deal we did like in the whole time that we did single family. Um, and we used the funds to not only pay off the debt that of took out, we made him take it out because <laughs> we didn't have credit cards. Um, and then we invested that into a, a mastermind group called uh, the Sub2 Group by a guy named Pace Borby. Um, it taught us a lot of creative financing. And we were able to actually acquire two rentals using those strategies. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money at the time. So we had to learn how to do that. And then we had to negotiate with the sellers on allowing us to pretty much take it over with no money down. Uh, we were able to do that. And um, eventually we got into one fix and flip as well. That, that just kind of came, um, I, would, I would say not out of luck, but we just built a really good relationship with one of our cash buyers. He really wanted to help us. So he actually funded the whole deal. We found the deal uh, and then we partnered 50-50 on the profits. Um, Kenneth kind of handled that. So he can touch more on that if he wants to.
5: Yeah. um, Well, so, you know, overall, we did about 17 deals after six months of no, um, no luck. So um, 13 months in, you know, my brother then eventually kind of just decided
6: that uh, multifamily was uh, a better suit for our goals Um, and he can kind of explain. Yeah. We just recognized commercial real estate and big multifamily was always the end goal for us, but we realized that it was limiting beliefs that kept us from taking action on it sooner. And so as soon as we realized we had some capital to work with, and we just, it was more aligned with our long-term goal of retiring our mom and creating passive income to reach the life by design that we were aspiring to, to reach. And so- we just decided you know, the same reason, the same fears that kept us from dropping out of college and pursuing real estate were the same fears that were keeping us in single family and preventing us from pursuing multifamily. And so we let go of, multi, of, of single family. We took down the wholesaling operation and went you know full send into the multifamily
1: space. Yeah. And the way we started that was by investing in a mastermind group and that's how we got here.
2: Yeah. So lots of, lot, like a lot of good pieces of the story. I want to, I want to bring you back just a little bit because I, I think the, the very beginning, I just want to make sure I'm understanding this the right way. You guys were cold calling from pretty much sunup to sundown for six months before you got your first deal. Is that right? Yeah. We were, we looked up the legal times you could call people <laughs> and uh, we each had our
6: own dialer. We had a three-line dialer for each of us and we were just calling all day, every day. Yeah. yeah. Probably
5: making over thousands of calls a day. We were running through lists like crazy, which is, I mean, if you are in real estate, you kind of know that lists are pretty expensive. You can easily spend
2: thousands of dollars. So, so a couple of things I want to break down here. I, I do want to touch on the on the list uh, creation uh, in a bit, but before we do that, six months of cold calling that that's enough to drive anyone crazy, right? Or or, or at least to make you start second guessing yourself, right? Like, oh man, is this really going to work? So what was it that, that kept you guys from stopping at month two of no deals or month six of no deals or month eight? Or, you know, like, how did you guys keep going? Yeah. Well, I would say number one, um, just having a strong why, like my brother said,
5: we landed from Guatemala, January 4th, 2020. And after seeing the impoverished conditions that our family, like literally our cousins, aunts, uncles live in. Um, we, we just knew that we had the ticket to change all of that and then also change our lives forever, our mom's life forever. So I would say like having a strong why, um, also once we were about two months in, um, I was already like (laughs) $7,000 worth of debt on my credit card. So that was also, um, I was not going to be able to pay that off unless we actually, uh,
1: kept Mm -hmm. going. So honestly, we had no choice, (laughs) but yeah, no, but I'm. A big thing that we always did was like listen to podcasts. So you just keep hearing success story after success story. Uh, we'd built a network of people that were already successful. So I was actually like two weeks before I dropped out of school, I got a call from one of my friends and th- we can talk about social media, but we're very present from day one and we've been documenting our journey. Uh, and it worked to our benefit because this person that reached out found us on Instagram and he looked like us, he's Hispanic. He was a few years older than us and he'd been in the business for two years, before, uh, more than we had. So he actually called us and said, he. I closed a $30,000 deal that week. He saw what we were doing and he kind of motivated us to and let us know that we can do it too. So that really, like, we that day actually we had, uh, we were supposed to close on a deal, but I ended up coming back with a tax lien on it. And that was really devastating for like two days. And then we, like, oh, the next day we woke up and nine o'clock hit and we kept calling. Um, so uh, that kind of motivated us to keep going. Um, but yeah, it was really just the books as well that we were reading, like, Think and Grow Rich. We understood it was something that, uh, your mindset and this is going to happen. Everyone else can do it. Why can't we? So we just kept going.
6: Yeah, and just to add to that, uh, also it helps to have a support group. So we have friends that are in real estate as well, but also we have each other. And and I that day that I went to ask my mom for money, it, it really put me down. Uh, I I was had a weak mindset at the time. And so I went to Kenneth and I, I knew our why, but it got blurry. And you get you lose sight of it sometimes. And so I walked up to Kenneth and I said, "Why are we doing this again? Please remind me because I don't I don't know." And he just you know, and it was my battery was low, but that's why it's beneficial to have people that can recharge you.
4: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to
7: buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice
2: But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Corporate Direct is your professional and affordable option for getting your LLC done right. They handle the state filings, draft your operating agreement, and act as your registered agent. They'll even help you comply with the Corporate Transparency Act Head over to CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets. So I I want to talk a little bit about the list building, um, because you, you got to have like a pretty robust list to call for, for six months. So just uh, kind of give us like the crash course on, you know, what, what software you guys use in the pool your list, what some of the criteria was, um, and just kind of how you put that piece together.
0: And even what is a list? For somebody who doesn't know anything about cold calling, what is even a list?
2: A list of what?
5: So, of course, um, so a list is basically just a a, a list of numbers and addresses that belong to the homeowner. So uh, numbers that belong to the homeowner of certain addresses. And we targeted absentee owners, um, vacants, and we usually pulled our list off of PropStream. And this is a little this was 2020. So. Um, there are likely better options out there that we don't you know, use at the moment because we're not currently actively calling um, single family. But we use PropStream batch leads, um, list source. sometimes list source, um, just to get data, and then we would use um, batch skip tracing to get the phone numbers, and we would just put them in the dialer and start calling. Explain what skip tracing is. So skip tracing is just um, once you have data, you actually. I don't know exactly how they do it, but basically, you get the phone numbers to the uh, addresses of your uh, data.
1: Cool. Yep. And then we, what we would do is we would upload the list by just clicking a few buttons to a dialer. We used Mojo Dialer at the time, uh, and then we would hop on the call. And at nine, I would be in my room. Kenneth would be in the kitchen, and the crew would be in his room, and we would just be calling all day. And then we'd have to eat. And what we'd do is we'd like have it there. We'd mute it while we're eating, and then anytime that someone answered, you'd stop it. Keep talking. Well, you have to stop chewing, or else, like you won't be able to speak. And then you, you keep going. But it was a the reason we went so hard was because we understood the value of having a pipeline, and that's something that we learned and we still implement today. Is that's why we keep track of our network yeah. because it's so valuable to have people there, and you don't want to let them fall through the cracks. And the thing about cold calling is the
6: you'll get results for the work you put in a few months ago because you have to nurture the leads, and that's what we'll just I think that's honestly a lot of marketing, but specifically cold calling for wholesale wholesale wholesale
0: leads. I want to get into—is that what you guys picked as your selections for the list? Like you kind of mentioned absentee owners, but before that, can you kind of give us a breakdown of what you were spending? Send you know on the different software to actually pull these lists to have the dialer, all these different things that you needed.
5: Yeah, um, I think uh, PropStream was ninety-seven dollars a month, and then Batch Leads was I want to say like fifty dollars a month, and then. That was a Mojo dialer. I think for the triple line dialer, it might be like one fifty a month. So total, you know, under $500 a month before... um... That's
1: on the softwares, but on the lists.
5: Yeah, on the lists. I mean, I think we were paying like $0.12 for skip tracing plus like an additional $0.03 for the the list. I mean, yeah, the data itself. So $0.15 per lead is kind of what we were spending back then. Um, I think that they're definitely better... Uh, places to get data. But like I said, you know, we, we haven't been cold calling in a while. So
0: well even just the five hundred dollars for software to pay for that for six months with no income coming in, that is that is a lot of money yeah. to <laughs> be investing into this business before it actually gets its first deal. So like Tony had praised you guys before for keep, you know, sticking with it until you got that first deal. And maybe it is the pressure. Maybe everyone needs to rack up credit card debt. I'm just kidding. I'm not giving that advice. (laughs) So when you guys started pulling lists, what are some resources? You've talked a little bit about a mastermind. What are some resources that were you like? Okay, this is the kind of information. I've gone in PropStream and done a list before, and there are a million different selections. I mean, you can target seniors, you can target people who have high equity, you can, you know, target by acreage, all these different selections. How did you decide and narrow down what the lists were going to be that you pulled?
5: Yeah, I mean, we uh, tried to call a little bit of everything, but um, honestly, YouTube University, uh, was where we kind of got all of our information. YouTube and podcasts. We listened to a wholesaling ink a lot, and a lot of people. They kind of went through their success stories. We know what kind of lists they were pulling, um, things of that nature. So that's you know really where we just got the information on what we should be pulling, and from there we just did it. And
1: and yeah, also talking to people that were already doing a lot of deals. We kind of asked them what they were pulling, uh, and a lot of people are very very like not not they don't have, they have the abundance mindset so they're willing to help you um you just obviously have to be someone that they want to help you know so you just have to be there
2: so after you guys have your initial success with the wholesaling and you get this proof of concept and you're, you're feeling good you guys said that you transition into into multifamily um so walk us through a little bit about what you know what kind of drove that decision and then how you guys set yourself up for success uh, to make that transition yeah, so uh, we first were exposed. I least I was exposed to what syndication was. Um, and
6: Jeffrey, do you want to define what syndication is, real quick?
1: Yeah, syndication is uh, pulling together a group of investors' money to buy something.
6: Yeah, so we were exposed that you could do that in real estate uh, when Alvin Hope Johnson. He's a developer, and he syndicates a lot of his projects. And we were exposed to him, and he was he was he said he he was speaking to a group of us. We were single family investors, and we just it sparked something in me, and so we started doing some. Research, listening to podcasts and Kenneth had been a big fan of Grant Cardone for some time. So he had already been exposed to that and we'd been talking behind the scenes. We want to do development or commercial real estate at some point. And we just said, okay, we have to wait. But then we started doing more research and realized that it's possible to start early on. We just needed the right team and the right mentor. And that's kind of what we what set us out. We went to biggerpockets.com, funny enough. And, uh, we did some research on the forums. We were able to get connected with a few mentorship programs. And after vetting a, a few and turning away some, we just nailed down the big multifamily, which is who we
1: eventually ended up going with. Yeah. And uh, we didn't like initially think we would need a mentor. Uh, we tried calling the brokers ourselves, but Kenneth was getting rejected so so much So um, they were telling him like, well, we, we read the book, The Best Ever Real Estate or Apartment Syndication Book by Joe Fairless. Uh, and sure. we learned that You'd obviously need to have a track record and experience. But we were like, you know what, let's just try it. I tried, didn't work. So we kind of came back, regrouped, I uh, learned that we probably would want to leverage a mentor that would be willing to partner with us. That was one of our criteria um, was that they would be willing to partner with us and that we'd have direct access to the person that we're partnering with. And um, we didn't really want to do deal with coaches because we don't need, um, we, we knew kind of what we needed and that's what we were looking for. And that's what the multi Multifamily group provided. So um, that's how we were able to find that group.
0: So I have a question with us mentorship. So when you picked the mentorship you wanted to be a part of, it was already like known that you would be partnering with this person to do the deal. So that was kind of like part of the value is they teach you how to do it, but they're also going to help you through. Is it your first deal or is it several deals you're doing with them? How is that kind of structured?
6: Yeah, so he actually partners with you as long as you're in the group, he, he, and it has to meet his criteria and his specific markets that he likes. Uh, but yeah, he's willing to partner with us. And do you guys want to clarify? But
5: yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we whenever we're submitting LOIs, he's uh, open to signing on on letters of intent. And you know, when you have thirteen thousand units across the southeast, people people recognize who you are. So you know, when when I mention his name, it's automatic uh, inst- uh, credibility. So, yeah, I mean, having a partner that will not only partner with you, but you can leverage him, his experience, his track record, as well as, you know, I can call him anytime I want and ask him a question, more than likely he will answer. And if not, he'll get back to me almost immediately. Um, Yeah, I think that that's very,
6: very powerful. And I want to clarify that uh, the way that... Multifamily works. Commercial real estate is most of the deals. I believe ninety percent of transactions are done through a broker, which is different from single family, where you can go direct to the, the seller. Um, and we that was a learning curve for us because we had to develop credibility and a track record with the brokers. They were the gatekeepers to the opportunities, and so having a mentor who would allow us to leverage their track record and just their experience was, was
1: was a game changer for us. Yeah, and he did a great job. Him and his wife did a great job of putting together the group. Um, and he has a lot of partners now that help him put, to get, put it together, but the environment and the, the family like vibe that you get from it, the people in the group we've worked with um, on multiple deals now, and they're willing to help you with a lot of different things. Um, so I, I think it's not only that we have access to our mentor and how valuable he is to us, but how valuable the entirety of the group is.
0: If you guys could each pick one thing that somebody should be looking for when they're trying to choose a mentor, say they want to learn a whole new real estate strategy Could each of you give an example of like either a question they should ask this person or what you should look for?
1: Yeah, I can go first. Funny enough, when we were doing the exact same thing, uh, we asked a group if we could speak with people that are already in the group and they told us no. So that was an immediate red flag. We were like, yeah, we're out of (laughs) here. And that's the first thing I would say. Let's talk to people that are already in the group. And if they say no, then I would run away.
6: And another question I would ask is: to Make sure that the person whose face is on the the brand of the mentorship program, you want to make sure that you have direct access to them, because a lot of times these mentorship programs have a coaching, pro, like, but there's a coach working under that main mentor. And while that's okay, we just wanted. I think it's important to understand who you're talking to and who you'll have as a point of contact.
5: Yeah, and uh, lastly, I will also say that it really depends on what you need. Um, for us in our situation, you know, we didn't need someone to pretty much hold our hands. Like we're good at, you know, I would say we're, we're pretty good at taking action. We just needed someone to be there, um, when we had a question, um, and, and also just experience. So I would say, um, just kind of realize what you need, but also, um, someone that's willing to put their name on things,
2: um, alongside your name, it's invaluable so i, I want to talk a little bit about how you guys have structured this this uh partnership between the three of you because i mean, think the the duties and responsibilities when you're wholesaling are slightly different than when you move into apartment syndication so talk us through what role each of you plays in the apartment syndication business
5: yeah um so i am uh the head of acquisition so primarily my job and role is to speak with brokers underwrite deals study the markets go on property tours. um, I would say all the fun stuff, really. Yeah, I don't like any of that.
1: Um, (laughs) I do the investor relations, so capital raising. And then once we obviously get the investor in the deal, uh, investor relations, just keeping uh, the ongoing communication.
6: And I'm in charge of the marketing. So we have a podcast. We also have YouTube channel, social media content, and a lot of copywriting that, that I'm
2: heavily involved in. So, what about the actual like management of the assets? So, I guess let's take a step back. So, how many how many deals on the on the syndication side have you guys done?
1: Yeah, so uh, we're co-sponsored on three so far, a total of six hundred thirty six units in the southeast, including Texas. Not really southeast, but um, the other two are in Georgia. One of them's in Georgia. The other one is in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, and right now, since we're co-sponsored, we're just helping out with some marketing aspects of the deal. We were so new to it. Those are the first three deals we did in this space, but Kenneth is actually working on finding our, our own first deal. And that's when we we hope to get a bigger role in the asset management.
0: Congratulations, you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, that's
2: amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you.
5: Thank you.
0: Well, I was just wondering if you guys would kind of walk us through a deal. I mean, we have a lot of guests on here that, you know, maybe go through a single family or a duplex. So I don't know if you guys had even one of the, the multifamily deals you found, kind of what that looked like, how you found it, how you acquired it, even with doing um, having the, the sponsor on there, if or even if you had a wholesale deal yeah. you wanted to go. Yeah, through. I mean
1: we can. So the multifamily space, uh, we quickly learned is you have to leverage. You have to have a really good team and leverage that team. So the cool thing about it that Kerwin likes to always talk about is in single family we were the ones running like everything, which is, is really good. But when it comes to the larger apartment space. Typically, you have a team and you kind of divide and conquer, um, which we th- we think suits us because we focus on what we're really good at and what we actually enjoy doing. Um, so when it comes to the first deal we did, uh, that was a 138 unit property in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, what I did was I actually leveraged my mentor to, to have access to him. That was something that I'm obviously grateful for, but we reached out to him, asked him if he knew anything going on in the group, anyone that needed help with anything. He said, yeah, he gave me um, someone that I'd already networked with. Uh, he told me he was had something going on in Jacksonville. I reached out, asked him how I could help and bring value. Um, he let me know. And then we kind of got on a call. I talked to my brothers um, about what we thought we could do. Uh, we ended up helping with some of the investor relations, like capital raising. So we were helping with some of the emails he was sending out, helping with some of the marketing deck. Um, we went to the property ourselves, walked it with him, uh, eventually got some of our own investors into that one. So that was the first time we ever raised money. Um, and that's really how we found that one. And obviously ongoing, we get on the asset management calls, um, but a lot of this is really just about learning and then being really good at networking, uh, learning how to be resourceful as well, especially when you're starting out at a young age, um, we didn't really have a lot to kind of bring, but we had to get resourceful, which was really just making connections. And, um, yeah.
6: And I think, but,
5: but to answer your question, so, I mean, the steps would be, of course, number one, um, acquisitions, which would be more of, you know, networking with the brokers, speaking with them, um, finding a deal, you know, then underwriting it, making sure that the market is, um, Market that you would like to invest in, um, then you would submit a letter of intent, which is um, primarily what uh, it gets accepted before going under contract in the larger commercial space. And then, um, you know, if the seller is happy with the letter of intent or your terms, pricing, etc., you then go under contract. So then you you know put down earnest money and um, go through the contract. You you do your due diligence. You check every unit inspect it all, make sure that, you know, the property is in the condition that the uh, seller said it was in um, and make sure that there aren't any surprises, of course. Then you move on, you know, make sure you get uh, funding. So mortgage lender, um, and then you of course have to raise the equity for closing day. So uh, while all that is going on, you're also speaking with your investors, letting them know about the opportunity, what the returns look like. And then also, um, you know, just raise money.
1: And then what we, what we did, that was, I would say, they kind of kind of skipped over is we didn't actually have to we didn't have to really build like a brand new team because we were walking into a mastermind group that already had the insurance broker they had the mortgage broker they had the property management company in the markets we were already looking for um, and then we already have people that are really good at asset management so yes we're going to learn how to do it ourselves but just being able to leverage someone else's already built in team uh, is really invaluable.
2: So one one follow up question here so. You know, obviously the three of you are good at, at networking and, and kind of building relationships with folks, but up until the point of that first deal, all of your focus had been more so on the, on the wholesaling side, right? Um, so did you guys have to go out and, and like build a new network to be able to raise money for this deal? Were you going back to your existing network and just like, how did that pitch differ from your, you know, your, your old pitches when you guys were wholesalers?
6: Yeah, we definitely, our network definitely changed. We tried to approach the single family network that we built, but it just didn't really align. So we ended up starting to invest in multifamily conferences. We started traveling and that investment, it really exposed us just to first off how to raise capital, uh, what other people were doing, what was working. And we also tapped into our own network. One of our one of our first investors was somebody that I met in college. So funny enough, they, there's this saying that you don't assume, don't judge a book by its cover. And they apply that to investors. You never know who has money or whose parents have money. So I think just by documenting our journey on social media, exposing, uh, just exposing everyone in our immediate network to what we were doing, people are paying attention, even if they're not engaging with your content
1: or letting you know directly. Yeah. One thing he kind of like touched on was the social media aspect. Um, We started the podcast a a few weeks after we got into multifamily uh, and we started producing a lot of content based on what we were doing, which was now multifamily. And our goal was to come off as um, not only come off, but we were obviously educating ourselves doing it but we were trying to establish some type of thought leadership platform um, which we learned in by reading the book uh, by joe Fairless. so all this kind of in my opinion i feel like it must have helped us come off as more credible because when someone met us at a a conference they see we're young but they're like okay they sound too young to be this sounds too good to be true or something like that so they look us up and they see us everywhere uh, and they see that we're not only we're doing we're practicing what we're preaching but we somewhat know what we're talking about. So
2: I, I just, I, I want to pause on this because I think the, the platform building aspect is so important, um, especially for newer investors. So uh, I shared this before, but like my journey as a real estate investor, uh, you know, happened at the same time as my journey. as a content creator in the real estate space. So I, before I joined the bigger pockets podcast, I had my own podcast. It was called your first real estate investment. And I started that podcast before I had my first real estate deal. Right. So I, I started the podcast in like September of 2019. I had to get my first deal done until like the following month. And the reason why I did that was the same exact reason that you guys mentioned is because if you can get people to know you, to like you and trust you, then when you have opportunities for them to invest in, it makes that ask a little bit easier. Even if you, even if you haven't had these amazing levels of success, you can still go out there and interview other people that are doing the things that you want to do. And when I started, that's what it was. I, I told people on the podcast, I'm a new investor. I'm here to go on this journey and I'm going to take you guys along with me. And all I did was interview other people. And that, that gives you a certain level of credibility. So for everyone that's listening, all of our rookies, if you want to scale to a, a relatively big portfolio and you want to do it you know, with the help of other investors, having a platform of some sort is super critical. So whether that's a podcast, uh, a YouTube channel, uh, an Instagram, a TikTok, like whatever platform it is. Figure out which one resonates with you the most, go deep into it, and then use that uh, you know, to, to kind of help build the business.
6: Absolutely. And I think it's important, uh, like you mentioned, when you have these high caliber guests on your show, even if you're not necessarily at the same level of success they are, if you're rubbing shoulders with them, then you get that social proof. And just by being in the same room or in the same conversation as them,
1: you're learning a lot. Exactly.
0: Before we move on to one of our segments, I just wanted to mention if anybody is, wants to learn more about underwriting and syndication, you have to check out the Bigger Pockets OG podcast episode 571 and 586. Um, they go into great detail as to actually how to underwrite a large multifamily property. Um, so if you guys are interested, even if you know you think that's something that might be far out. For you, just go ahead and take a listen to it to see if it's something you're interested in, and I bet you'll even learn something that will be valuable to you right now. Looking at single family, small, multi-family too, so check out those episodes. It's uh, episode five seventy one and five eighty six. Okay, you guys, are you ready to go to the rookie request line? Yes, let's do it. So anyone can call in; they can leave us a voicemail at one eight 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 five rookie and leave a question for us. And we may just play it on the show for our guests to answer. So today's question.
2: My name is Tim DeFore. I'm from Norfolk, Nebraska. And my question is, what kind of materials would you prepare for presenting an opportunity to a potential private money lender? Thank you.
1: Yeah. Um, so what we do, and we now do multifamily syndication. I honestly don't think we ever use a private money lender, but I can tailor it towards like a passive investor. Um, we'd always want to have some type of marketing deck or executive summary where it goes into um, the, the sponsorship team. So who's going to be doing the asset management, who's on the deal, all the general partners, um, as well as a property management company we'll be using. Uh, and then we kind of go into the investment highlights. We'll touch on the business plan. Uh, the market that the property is located in, we'll give them the highlights as to why we like this market. Um, and then really we'll go into just general information in regards to the hold period uh, what the returns look like, et cetera. But that's kind of some information that we just need to give them. And then what I'll do is I'll have an, an investor webinar. where I'll come on and present it with my partners. Um, and then I'll answer any questions that my investors have. So I just think having all that information there that can answer most of the questions that they're probably going to have um, in one, I guess, one spot present that to them and then be open for questions. I hope that helps. But
6: Yeah. And yes. just to add to that, I mean, I, one of the objectives of having that marketing deck is to instill confidence in them, in, not only in your own track record and credibility or that of your team, but also establish the uh, the, the opportunity and explain to them why you're excited about it and why you think it's going to be a great opportunity for them. Yeah. And, and to tailor it more towards like a
5: single family thing, Not that we've ever done this, but what I would do is kind of do the same thing. Um, Put your team on there, you know, put the attorney that you either plan to use or you're currently using if you're closing deals. Um, You know, if you have a, a hard money lender that you've ever worked with, put them for contact information, uh, the market that you're in, like my brother said, what, what you're looking to do. Like if you're only looking to do like buy and holds, you know, kind of run them through an example of what that might look like or, or a fix and flip, run them through kind of an example, you know, just a mock deal, you know, like something that's not necessarily that you've done, but that can kind of give them an idea as to what um what an investment with you would look like, what you're gonna use the money for, and yeah, et cetera.
0: Yeah. One thing you guys could do too is uh, just like Google pitch deck and look at samples. Or I know two of my friends, um, if you go to bardowninvestments.com and, or uh, cedarcreekwealth.com, go to those two websites and they have just right on there for investors to look at what their pitch deck is for properties that they're, they're trying to acquire now. And you can just pull information off of that, but it'll give you a great starting point. And then Another investor friend of mine, Tyler Combs from Rare Bird Real Estate out of Portland, he actually puts together, um, he has like this template packet for investors where it's all about his business, all about him, all about his partner. And then each time he has a new property that he wants to get private money for, he puts pictures of the property. He does the analysis for the property, you know, what the expected return is, what the cash and cash return is going to be for this property, what he's, um, you know, what he may be offering on it. And just one thing to be careful of is that you, if you are raising private money for a syndication, just make sure that you consult an attorney first, before you go out and say, hey, everybody, I need this much money and I'm going to give you this much return or all these different things. So um, just make sure you know what the the laws and regulations are around that too, because there are some. Tony, did you have anything to add on that request? No, or? no, I
2: think you guys hit, hit all the big stuff. I mean, I, I guess one last thing, right? So we, we, we do use a lot of private money for our folks we're doing right now. And pretty much everything you guys talked about is, is what, we, what we pitch as well. I think the one thing that you really want to have clear though is like what the terms are, right. It's like, what kind of interest rate are you offering to this private money lender? Are you offering any points? What's the the payment period? Is it a year? Is it 18 months? Is it less than that? What happens if you need more time? Um, you know, so just make sure that you're kind of thinking through all the, all the terms of the deal and then always having the right mortgage security document being drafted as well. So just kind of walking through like in California, it's called a grant deed. I don't know what it's called in New York or, or where you guys are at North Carolina, but every state has its own document. Um, so really understanding the ins and outs of that document. So that way you can explain to that private money lender, um, kind of what the legal structure of that partnership looks like. So I said I didn't have anything, then I had a lot to say. So I guess that's that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I think too, like how you said, like we both kind of mentioned that, you know, figure out what the rules, the laws, regulations are, what documents you need. This is where an attorney, the expense of an attorney, a lot of times really isn't as much as people totally. think it is. And it's a lot of attorneys will sit down with you for free in that initial conversation you know, conversation or over the phone, and then can kind of give you an idea of what it would cost to get some of these documents. But once you get these documents, you can recreate them yourself over and over again, um, just like filling in the blanks. So, definitely um, worth asking for attorneys for templates of contracts and documents okay tony do you want to take us to our rookie exam
2: yes Donus brothers are you guys ready for the most important exam of your life yes yes let's do it <laughs> all right cool so we're going to ask three questions i guess we can just ask one question to each brother that yeah. works out perfectly so kenneth you're the lucky one to go first uh, so the question for you kenneth is what is one actionable thing Ricky should do after listening to this episode? Um, so
5: I will give well one is if you've already been learning, um, continue learning, always learn. I I would say that you really just need to know what the next step is. You don't need to know the whole plan. But you know, if you're in the stages of you're just beginning, you know, just pick up the phone or, or maybe ask around um to your friends and family if anyone's looking to sell a property. Um, and just start taking action. Um really I would start by cold calling. So uh, finding a list, you know, going on YouTube, if you've already been learning, finding out where you can pull a list, how you can get it. Um, uh, I personally, I don't recommend this, but I would take out a credit card and pull a list and then start calling it.
2: But like I said,
5: just, uh, to your own
2: risks, you know, <laughs> love that advice, man. All right. So next up, Jeffrey, you, you get question number two. So what is one tool software app or system that you
1: use in your business? Podio, uh, it's a CRM. It's free. And I keep track of everything, whether that's my investors, um, my network, my equity partners, deal finders, uh, literally anything that's valuable. And I think network in business, especially real estate, is the most valuable thing. Uh, You keep track of it in your CRM. And thankfully, it's free.
2: All right. So, Kerwin, you get the last question here, brother. So, where do you plan on being in a business perspective five years from today? And I guess this is for all, you know, for all three of you guys. Where do you see all three of you be? I'll start by answering that. Um, I'm not,
6: I don't know if we have nailed down the asset center management sp- specifically, but we aim to build a large apartment portfolio of cash flowing properties. And we'd like to get to, into development at some point down the road. Yeah. But with having hopefully reached financial
1: freedom by that point and retired our mother.
6: And and of course, you know, we'd like to take on more of an active role in the deals uh, in terms of the asset management and manage our own deals and build out an entire team so we can start doing our own deals and be self-sufficient in that way.
2: Love it, guys. Well, I'm I'm more than confident that five years from now you will have met or exceeded those goals, and we'll get you guys on the on the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Show with uh, David and my boy Rob, and you guys can talk about how you're you know the next Grant Cardone's of, uh, of North Carolina. So, um, all right. So as we wrap things up, I want to highlight this week's Ricky Rockstar. So for those of you that are listening, if you want to be highlighted on the show, uh, just get active in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group or in the forums on BiggerPockets.com uh, or shoot Ash and I a note on Instagram. We we pull from all those places. Uh, But today's rookie rock star is Haley P. And Haley closed on uh, wholesale deal number three. Uh, So this one came from a bandit sign. Uh, She grabbed a five-pack of blank signs from Lowe's, actually. Um, The homeowner was uh, two years behind on taxes. um, And she offered him some cash, and she was able to make it work. Um, But it looks like her, her fee on this came out to uh A little under twenty grand on this one, so really good deal, Haley, on deal number three. So congratulations to you for knocking it out the park. Yeah, congrats, congrats, Haley.
5: Congrats, Haley. That's awesome. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, Tony, great job on the math too. I was <laughs> in there for your quick math. <laughs> yeah,
2: I'm doing my yeah, doing my quick math here.
0: Yeah. yeah, congratulations, Haley. That's awesome, and uh excited for you to do another deal um and on to your next project. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. And you definitely hinted that you have um, a podcast. You have some social media presence. Can you please let us know where more people can reach out to you guys and find out some more information?
6: Yeah, we're at Donis Brothers. That's D-O-N-I-S Brothers on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, TikTok, YouTube. Yeah, And we have our our website, www.donisinvestmentgroup.com backslash playbook. That's where you can get our, um, our playbook that just essentially walks you through some common mistakes. Awesome. Make. Well,
0: thank you for that. Okay. So everyone go and Wait, check out what about the Ruby.
6: Oh, the, the podcast yeah, is the, podcast? the Real Estate Monopoly. Uh, the Real Estate Monopoly podcast. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and essentially all uh, podcast streaming platforms.
0: Yep. Very cool. So you guys are very busy yes
6: yes (laughs) try to be
0: (laughs) well that's good well thank you guys so much for joining us and maybe we'll have to have you guys back again to do an even deeper dive so if you as our listeners want to hear more information about being a rookie investor and diving into syndications leave us a review on youtube and comment that you want them back or leave us a five-star review on any of the podcast platforms And we will be back on Saturday with a Rookie Reply. I'm Ashley at Welcome Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we'll see you guys next time. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes.